0: Welcome to Rethink, the Future of Skilled Nursing, a podcast from Skilled Nursing News. I'm your host, Alex Spanko. Before we jump into my conversation with Betsy Rust of Plant Moran, I'd like to thank our podcast sponsor today, Point Click Care. Success isn't just getting to PDPM, it's about being ready for what comes next. Learn how you can prepare to go confidently into quality-based care with Point Click Care. My guest today is Betsy Rust, a partner at the accounting and advisory firm Plant Moran. In March, Rust and Plant Moran put out a skilled nursing benchmarking report with a surprising thesis. Medicare margins actually rose about 9% for the average skilled nursing facility between 2016 and 2017, reaching a healthy 20%. But before you start yelling in your car about how the average margin is really closer to zero, remember that the report only tracked fee-for-service Medicare, a funding source that Medicare Advantage plans are steadily replacing. I wanted to go deeper into Plant Moran's findings and find out some of the main trends that Rust sees in her day-to-day practice. Here's our conversation. Hey, Betsy, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today.
1: You're welcome, Alex.
0: So, Betsy, the last time we spoke, we were talking about Plant Moran's benchmarking report, which found that Medicare margins actually went up for skilled nursing providers between 2016 and 2017. But the caveat is obviously that that doesn't take into advantage, uh, take into account, rather, Medicare Advantage. And one of the problems you identified is that there really isn't a lot of publicly available information that skilled nursing facilities can use when they're trying to figure out what the Medicare Advantage rates are in their area and how they can adapt to that. So, I guess my first question would be, What can they do if they don't have that information? What are some of the sources and some of the strategies that skilled nursing providers can use when trying to adapt to Medicare Advantage?
1: Well, I think it's important for providers to understand their own profitability under Medicare Advantage programs. So with our report, we were providing the industry with information about overall Medicare profitability And we have the ability to tell an individual facility how they compare to those industry averages. So even though those industry averages aren't necessarily available for a typical health plan, let's say in an individual market, it's still important for the operator to understand profitability under each of their significant Medicare Advantage plans. And so we would recommend that organizations are taking the time to calculate the profitability by looking at the revenues for a particular Medicare Advantage contract in comparison to the actual expenses of providing that care to plan beneficiaries. And often that performance will be significantly different than what a provider has under Medicare. Now, of course, we would expect that potentially the revenue rates might be different because not all payers pay Medicare RUG rates, but in addition to that, you also often have with individual health plans different therapy costs because those health plans will be much more prescriptive on how much therapy their rates are intended to cover so there often is you know significant differences in the cost structure so it is important to have those cost accounting mechanisms in your own organization so that you can understand the performance under the health plans and what we recommend we worked on a project for a group of providers in one state where the health plan was offering to those providers an individual per diem flat rate and using this data that we collected from those providers to really show them what the profitability was under that health plan's metrics, we were able to help that group of providers negotiate a better rate. So you may not be able to understand, you know, what, what everybody else is doing, but you can use information about your own operations to try to advocate for yourself with those health plans.
0: Yeah, you're correct. That is something that I hear a lot in talking with providers and consultants is that it really depends on the individual contracts between skilled nursing facilities and Medicare Advantage plans. And it can really come down to the individual contracts. Now, sort of on that point, I just got back from a conference in Louisville, the American College of Healthcare Administrators annual conference. And one of the big things I took away from that event was this idea that once PDPM takes effect, it's going to have kind of a trickle down effect on Medicare Advantage and Medicaid. In that those plans and the Medicaid program base their reimbursement rates on the current rug system, and that support for that is going away soon. What do you think is the outlook for Medicare Advantage plans as they adapt to the PDPM? How's that going to affect providers and kind of the internal calculations that they need to make going forward?
1: Yeah, Alex, that's a really interesting question and I don't have the answer and I I don't think anyone has the answer now, but I'm glad to hear it's on the radar and, and on the minds of folks as you heard at that conference because so many state Medicaid systems rely on acuity measures that are derived from the current RUG system or previous versions of RUGS before we, you know, we had RUG 66, before when we had other smaller numbers of groupings. So those states now have to look for new ways to retool how they get their information to execute their own reimbursement system. And one of the great fears, I think, is that more and more states are going to look to manage care and to just shift their beneficiaries to manage care because it's going to be so burdensome to adopt something else when this RUGS infrastructure isn't available to them. So I don't think the answer is out there, but I think it is right to be worried about it. And I think it would be important for state affiliates to really be thinking about this. State affiliates of ACA, for example, and and nursing home associations that are very involved in advocating for reimbursement for their members really should be thinking about what alternatives they may suggest to state governments to avoid what might be just the easy way out is to shift these groups of beneficiaries to managed care.
0: So on the managed Medicare side, have you heard anything from plans in terms of what they intend to do moving forward? Because I know that they don't have to follow really any of the Medicare fee for service rules when determining rates, but they frequently do. So have you heard any indication about how they're approaching this now and how they are to approach it starting after October 1st and then again after the end of next year, the end of next fix, fiscal year, sorry, October 2020, when CMS will effectively discontinue support for the RUG system? What have you been hearing?
1: Yeah, I agree. Still uncertain. And I would think a a large percentage of health plans did follow Medicare rugs. But many of those health plans and conversations that I've had with some local health plans here in Michigan, they're really looking for ways to incorporate additional value-based purchasing mechanisms into their contracts and are looking to narrow networks. So some providers might be lulled into thinking, well, gee, we haven't been hit by narrow networks so far. We're probably not going to have any concerns with access. I think some of these health plans have been formulating their plans and this shift to PDPM is going to be a time where they roll out something different. So I am expecting that the majority of health plans will not Shift to PDPM, but we'll use an alternative methodology.
0: Yes, you're correct. That's kind of what I've been hearing as well from just the takeaways that I got at the conference and in talking to other providers in the space. Moving on to a separate subject, because I wanted to come back to this and kind of pull this out of the report that I didn't, wasn't able to kind of drill down on for the article that I wrote about it. But uh, let's talk about length of stay, because I know the report only focused on fee-for-service Medicare, but it did show a surprisingly high average length of stay. It was 38, which is down from 41 from the previous year, but still much longer than you hear in the Medicare Advantage space, where you know 17 might even be a little long. So as we move into PDPM, as we move into these new incentives and disincentives, where do you see length of stay going? Do you see it increasing? Do you see it decreasing? What's your outlook for that?
1: Yeah, and you know, this is, is one statistic where I would really like to take the opportunity to encourage folks to really focus on the data that they do report in their Medicare cost reports. It is difficult to obtain public information readily on length of stay, and so the way we have derived this measure in our report is that we've looked at patient days and discharges. So it, typically, patient days are self-reported by providers with a high degree of accuracy. The discharge number isn't always as accurate. And so if that number isn't as accurate, the length of stay calculation where we're taking patient days and dividing it by discharges may not be as reliable. So even though we're reporting it as, as 38 anecdotally, we know that the length of stay is probably something less than 38 because of this reporting issue. Now, I would say that the length of stay really is driven based upon the local practices. And so if you're in a state where there isn't a lot of Medicare Advantage, your operating practices are probably following traditional Medicare where there's not as much pressure to hurry up and discharge the resident. Under PDPM, with rate tapering, individual providers are going to have to be much more focused on discharging residents when there isn't benefit and when they aren't meeting the care requirements to continue the technical requirements of Medicare. And so I think under PDPM, we're likely to see length of stay move down rather significantly.
0: Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how low it goes. Agreed. So to kind of stay on this benchmarking report for a second, I wanted to know if there was anything that surprised you or the rest of the team at Plant Moran when you conducted this study and presented the results. I know the skilled nursing industry is highly localized and often it can be difficult to draw conclusions based on nationwide data for any individual sniff. But I still enjoy seeing these 40,000 foot views on the industry because A, I cover it every day and B, I think that there are some lessons that can be picked out. So were there any stats that were particularly surprising to you guys when you put the report together?
1: I don't think there was anything particularly surprising. What I think the report reinforces is that The industry is going to continue to have pressure on reducing length of stay and on revenue rates. And it reinforces that in order to be successful, providers are going to have to think about other revenue sources. And really, I think this is a primary driver behind why so many long-term care organizations are looking at ways to get involved in insurance. So, I right now, institutional special needs plans, D SNPs, special needs plans for dual eligible beneficiaries, and then plans that are also available for certain chronic conditions like dementia. These plans are getting a lot of attention from owner operators, as I believe they should. If you look at the hospital industry, one of their major strategies to help them achieve financial success when payers were pushing them to be more efficient and drive down utilization was to become insurers and to go at risk. This report and just where we are with the industry in total, with length of stay declining, we're serving, you know, an equal or greater number of patients, but we're still having trouble filling our beds. And we're frankly, we're providing a ton of value for the payers of these services, the only way to make sure that you are being compensated for that is to go at risk and to move towards that insurer role yourself. Uh, we like to call that moving toward the money. And so, you know, for me, this report reinforces that for the operators who can take on risk, that would be a good strategy as you look to the future.
0: Now, that is something that you need a decent amount of scale to accomplish, however. So I'm kind of interested in your take on how big you need to be in order to succeed. Obviously, we hear a lot of how PDPM might knock some of the smaller companies out of the business, kind of usher in this era of some consolidation, at least on the regional side. And one of the things that everyone seems to agree on is that size isn't necessarily better in skilled nursing. So gone are the days of kind of the thousand bed skilled nursing chain, sorry, thousand property skilled nursing chain across the country. So what do you think, let's say I'm an operator who's listening right now and I'm interested in getting into I-SNIPS or D-SNIPS, but I don't know if I have the scale. What's kind of the sweet spot for scale for achieving success in these kinds of models?
1: Yeah, that's that's a good question, Alex. And I would say some industry experts are saying that you have to be able to have 500 covered lives in order to make a plan work. I'm not so sure you need quite that threshold, but I do think 500 is a good number, although you might be able to make it work at something less than that. And with these insurance opportunities, you're not going to be able to cover everybody in your facility. Patients will continue to have choice. so you you can't assume if you have five hundred beds, for example, that you could make this work because odds are you're not going to have uh, more than, let's say, thirty to forty percent of of your beneficiary patients enroll. But a strategy that I think that can work, is to look toward other organizations in your market and to come together to create a plan. Now, there's a lot of risks with that because with insurance, there's a lot of risk around utilization. So you'd want to have like-minded organizations where you believed their quality and operating practices were commensurate and compatible with yours. But I do think the insurance opportunity can be done in partnership with more than one organization being aligned to have success. And, you know, I think you mentioned the thousand facility chains. I think most of us agree that. The regional, having size and scale in a particular region is probably the strongest recipe for success today, and I think that would hold true with the insurance concept as well because a fundamental aspect of that is that you need to create a network in a geography to provide access to healthcare for your beneficiaries. So it's really a regional play, and if you're big enough, you can do it alone or you can team up with other like-minded providers.
0: So this idea of teaming up with competitors in your marketplace is something that I have heard, but I've always been a little skeptical of because, you know, for better or for worse, healthcare is still a business in this country. And this idea of partnering with other you know providers in your market seems kind of counterintuitive. And a lot of markets, the competition for residents is, is quite fierce, actually. So do you think this goes against their natural inclination or do you think that the savvier operators are really able to look past that and see the upside down the road?
1: Well, I think, you know, maybe this is one of those situations where we're talking about frenemies, right? Because certain provider organizations may still be competing against one another for patients in a market, but both of them are trying to win a competition against a health plan, let's say, who's keeping too much of a revenue stream. So I think there's opportunities for friendly competitors who are like-minded and both recognize that there's something to be gained by their partnership, you know, to team up and have success here.
0: Got it. I wanted to take this opportunity now to actually switch gears and kind of hear what you're seeing in your day-to-day practice at Plant Moran. What are some of the common issues, common questions, common concerns that come up when you work with operators and investors, whether they're interested in buying existing buildings or developing? What are some of the big things you're hearing on the ground over the last six months or so?
1: Well, I think there's the continued concern about census. You know, some of the recent data has been encouraging that potentially we're going to see census turn around and, you know, maybe we've hit the bottom and we're, we're here for rosier times ahead. But I think that's a significant concern on the minds of owner operators right now. I think what's going to happen with reimbursement and certainly, you know, our political environment and worried about will we have block grants for Medicaid, you know, even though we focus a lot on Medicare and Medicare Advantage because a lot of the funds to operate a skilled nursing facility come from those payers, still the largest number of covered beneficiaries are Medicaid. And so state's abilities to continue to fund Medicaid is, is probably on the minds of most operators. So you know, we have a lot of clients who come to us and, and they want to renovate, they want to reposition their facilities, but you know, depending on what state you're in, it, it may be very difficult to do so and be sure that you have the funding coming. So that's probably the number one concern Followed very closely by competition for labor. And so, you know, probably the smartest organizations right now, in my view, are ones who are focusing on culture and non compensation ways to really create better bonds with their staff and employees because the cost of turnover is so significant in our industry that it's really just imperative to be investing in culture now to improve your employee retention.
0: Yeah, so I've been covering the industry for about two years, and that seems like the million-dollar question without an answer. You know, the question of staffing and retention keeps coming up, but it seems like it's interesting to me that there's this problem that is so big and so all-consuming, but which no one really has an accepted answer for.
1: And I think, you know, to, to sort of tie into that, I think there are some organizations that really do have very strong cultures and they're quietly more successful than others who say, well, boy, no matter how much money I throw at something, you know, I'm still competing with the skilled nursing facility down the street, who then raises their wages. And then I lose people. And it's kind of a vicious circle, which I'd say sometimes it is, and it depends on a labor market, but culture can help to carry the day. I mean, we we have to have decent wages and benefits, but culture certainly can help carry the day.
0: Yeah. And sort of the way I've heard it is that a good wage will attract people, but culture will keep them there. You know, people aren't going to go down the road for 50 cents more if they have a good thing at their current place. But it often seems like those two sides of the coin don't always work together at a lot of different facilities and operations.
1: Yeah, agreed. And sort of, you know, tying into my earlier comment about providers who are trying to reposition, you know, I do think there is, you know, much to be gained from an employee culture perspective too, when a facility has been refreshed and repositioned in the working climate that, that offers staff in addition to how great that is for residents.
0: All right, I wanted to move to my last question which is, so you know, at Skilled Nursing News, we're part of a larger family and we have senior housing news, home health care news, a lot of publications that look outward toward the industry of aging. And I've heard uh, some of your colleagues at Plant Moran and other advisory firms kind of talk about what they look at when evaluating senior housing properties, you know, specifically in terms of location and amenities and things like that. But for Skilled Nursing, I haven't heard as much. What are some of the aspects that you look for when you're evaluating opportunities or new properties or new construction for clients? that make you feel confident to say okay this is going to be a winner going forward this is a good investment versus uh, maybe this one isn't so great.
1: Well, one of the things we sometimes look for is proximity to hospitals. So, if you are planning a skilled nursing facility to have a high post acute population, you want to make sure that you have proximity to hospitals. If you, you know, having said that, you know, we have a lot of successful clients that are also in rural areas. And, you know, the rural SNFs have recently been cause for concern because in some areas across the country, we're seeing rural SNFs close because of Medicaid funding. But rural SNFs can be successful if they are an important employer in an individual market. And I think, That really is the second thing that we focus on when helping our clients think about, you know, where they may want to put a skilled nursing facility if they're going to replace their building is what is the labor market? And so one thing we always look at in our market studies is, you know, not only who are the competitors there, but what is the labor force dynamic in this area? And that just is so important as we discussed, given how competitive it is to find staff currently.
0: All right. Well, I wanted to wrap up this interview by mentioning something that people might not know about. Betsy, you have two sons who've played professional hockey, including one who is on the Pittsburgh Penguins, who are currently fighting with my New York Islanders for a playoff spot in the upcoming Stanley Cup playoffs.
1: (laughs) Yes, they are. Go Penguins.
0: Well, best of luck uh, to the Penguins and the rest of the teams going into the playoffs. And thank you so much for joining me today, Betsy. It's been a great conversation.
1: Thank you, Alex. Much appreciate it.
0: Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Rethink the Future of Skilled Nursing. For more news and insights on the skilled nursing industry, subscribe to our daily or weekly newsletters at skillednursingnews.com. I'm Alex Banco, and this has been a production of Aging Media Network, Chicago, Illinois.